It started off on, on a Saturday morning. She woke up and said, look at Fergus, I can't feel from my knee down. And I said, oh, look, it's probably the way you were lying down, I said, last night in the bed. You know, just get up and kind of try and shake it off or have a bath or a shower. So that was the first symptoms that occurred on that Saturday morning. So we went over to Casualty over into Navin Hospital for them to have a look in the afternoon. The symptoms were still with Gillian. They discharged her later on that night and just said, look, it was probably dropped foot and, you know, that they would do probably a scan of her knee, maybe an MRI later on in the month or something. So they hadn't kind of presumed it themselves that it was stroke or stroke related. I got a phone call the Tuesday morning and the Tuesday morning was from a, a young doctor to say that Gillian wasn't awake and looked like she had suffered something in the middle of the night and he didn't go into much detail so I quickly left the house and you know we're 15 minutes away from the hospital so it was a kind of an eerie journey I rang her parents at the time and her sister to say something's after happening Gillian when we all managed to scramble to the hospital Gillian had been moved down to intensive care and was in what was I suppose what call it was a coma he said it quite possibly could be some sort of vasculitis he mentioned potentially aggressive MS quite emotional and you know and I said to see it happening to, you know to Gillian at the time going into a intensive care seeing all the machines you know she had a dedicated nurse at the side of her bed non-responsive the outcome was quite bleak because we absolutely knew nothing about the kind of stroke and stroke disease so close to the family I was told about it, what happened to me so I wish I could remember I don't want you to remember. I feeling for the guys, my family, who were looking at me. I, I feel the pain of the family that uh, says it to me. So I was uh, like a baby state. I had to learn to write, eat, starting all over again. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Moya-Moya disease is a chronic and progressive condition of the arteries in the brain. People with Moya-Moya disease have a narrowing of these blood vessels that leads to blockages and can eventually cause ischemic stroke, hemorrhagic stroke, and seizures. In this episode, we'll hear from Gillian O'Boyle and her husband Fergus from Ireland's County Meath. Gillian, who has aphasia, suffered her first stroke at the age of 32. It started off on a Saturday morning. She woke up and said, look, Fergus, I can't feel from my knee down. And I said, oh, look, it's probably the way you were lying down, I said, last night in the bed. You know, just get up and kind of try and shake it off or have a bath or a shower. So that was the first symptoms that, that occurred on that Saturday morning. So we went over to Casualty over into Navin Hospital for them to have a look in the afternoon. The symptoms were still with Gillian. They discharged her that later on that night and just said, look, it was probably dropped foot and, you know, that they would do probably a scan of her knee, maybe an MRI later on in the month or something. So they hadn't kind of presumed it themselves that it would have been, that it was stroke or stroke related. I guess, you know, at, at her age and then the fact that it was just from below the knee down. So the next day was Sunday. Gillian woke up again and actually then couldn't feel from both knees down. This trumped us. So we rang the doctor on call. They brought us in straight away. Um, they said, look, there's something something happening here. They started running a couple of scans. Gillian stayed Sunday night in the hospital, Monday night. And in that process of the Monday morning, 
they started carrying out MRIs, CAT scans and various kind of testings to see what actually was going on. I think Monday night I said goodnight to Gillian. So she just still had the same sensations from the knee down, nothing working. And it was finding it very difficult to walk. So I got a phone call the Tuesday morning and the Tuesday morning was from a, a young doctor to say that Gillian wasn't awake and looked like she had suffered something in the middle of the night. And he didn't go into much detail. So I quickly left the house and, you know, we're 15 minutes away from the hospital. So it was a kind of an eerie journey. I rang her parents at the time and her sister to say something's after happening. Gillian, when we all managed to scramble to the hospital, Gillian had been moved down to intensive care and was in what was, I suppose, what call it was a coma. That was Tuesday. We met with the consultant and he had said, look, it's something's after happening, Gillian. It looks like she's after having a stroke. He said it quite possibly could be some sort of vasculitis. He mentioned potentially aggressive MS, quite emotional. And, you know, as I said, to see it happening, to, you know, to Gillian at the time, going into a ken- intensive care, seeing all the machines, you know, she had a dedicated nurse at the side of her bed, non-responsive. The outcome was quite bleak because we absolutely knew nothing about kind of stroke and stroke disease so close to the family. My own granny had it, but, you know, it, it was a, a, one of those things where you'd have an, an aging kind of disease. So I think that was kind of the Tuesday. Then we got transferred up to Bowman Hospital in the afternoon. They're the specialists in stroke and stroke treatment in the country. So we went up to St. Bridges, St. Bridges Ward. Ward yeah. So that's the dedicated stroke ward in Bowman Hospital. Again, Gillian was still, you know, unconscious. We got in. Uh, kind of as a family to see what was going on, met the various different consultants. They carried out the various different tests. So Gillian was in that kind of state of comatized till Saturday morning. And in between that, we still didn't have a diagnostic as to say what actually happened, Gillian. We had various different tests and various different scans and kind of more and more. So every day you went in and they thought it was one disease, it was Edam's disease. And there was another one before and another one. So I think by the time we got to Saturday morning, they had given her a steroid to bring her out of her induced comatized state. And she kind of responded to it. She was alert, awake, but had no speech, very kind of tired. And then the paralysis then was there all down Gillian's right hand side of her body. So she had no movement in her right feet, legs, arms and hands. I was told about what happened to me. So I wish I could remember. I don't want you to remember. I feeling for the guys, my family, who were looking at me. I, I feel the pain of the family that uh, says it to me. So I was uh, like a baby state. I had to learn to write, eat, starting all over again. I remember my cousin Tracy brought me in markers. I had it all over my face. She tried to eat the marker. <laughs> After a number of different scans and treatments, Gillian was eventually diagnosed with Moya Moya disease. It's taken a while to kind of get that diagnostics and it all kind of bottomed out. Originally, I think when we, fin- when we finished up in Bowman Hospital, they had presumed it was a va- vasculitis, as in an inflammation of the blood vessels in the brain that caused the stroke. So we weren't dealing with the, the general strokes where you'd have kind of a, a clot or you'd have some issue with the heart or a bleed. So, I mean, they're the, they're the, the majority of people would have those type of strokes. So Gillian's was quite difficult 
number one, to get to diagnostics. And they actually carried out a brain biopsy. So they took a small piece of her, her tissue out of her head to, to have a look to see what was causing the inflammation and, and how big the inflammation was. But it wasn't until later on, probably in the story, where Gillian had to undergo a surgery that her surgeon had actually diagnosed her condition. So that was quite difficult, you know, to wondering what, why, if and what happened. And then I suppose there was an underlying condition is to see, you know, was it ever going to happen again or was this it? Back in 2013, so three years later, Gillian started to develop in the same symptoms again. She was at home. She had walked down to her mother's house and had found that her left leg was actually starting to become weak again. And at that stage, we just said, look, we get her to the hospital. We collect her into the car. We said, we come up and get some clothes before we go to the hospital. And she had another stroke in the car. And again, it was the same same condition, but this time it was affecting her, what was what was her left and her good side or left-hand side of her body. I suppose that was really difficult to, to, to find because she'd, she'd done so well from the original stroke in 2010, had spent that couple of months in hospital, had then gone on to Dunleary right down the rehabilitation hospital, spent three months there. Really strong battle in terms of the recovery got back walking and got her speech working as well. Her right arm was the one that didn't come back. Has a little bit of movement in it. That was all the hard work for, for three months in Dunleary Rockdown. So her recovery from the original stroke was very good. You know, you jump on that bandwagon and it's recover, recover, recover. So when we got to 2013, for Gillian to have this condition kind of come upon her again, it was very, very difficult to see. And again, we thought, look at what way was Gillian going to end up or was she going to survive? So thankfully, Bowman Hospital had had brought in a vascular surgeon. He started to have a look at Gillian's condition. And at that time, she was again back into intensive care. She started having all these kind of multiple kind of strokes. So over the course of that weekend, you know, she had four strokes in the actual unit. So, you know, she'd be talking to you one minute and the next minute her face would drop. You'd see the kind of drooping expression of her. And then there was a blank kind of stare, no speech. They put her on medication to kind of open up the blood vessels in the brain as much as possible. But again, this was this was something that was a temporary fix, mainly that you just couldn't stay on this, this, this drug for that length of time. So the only option was surgery. And with it became a massive risk. So... There was a kind of a, a, a 20 to 40 percent to kind of it varied depending on who you're talking to. The risk was having another stroke under under anesthetic. So she had what was called a, a kind of cranial bypass. So as, as the way I probably describe it is there's a blood vessel that runs on the outside of your brain, just running up by, by your temple. And, and it's the one that if you ever get mad, it kind of pops out of the side of your head. They take that one and they open up a piece of the skull and they bring that blood vessel in fuse it with the blood vessels in the brain and it brings a new source of blood to the brain. That's the cure effectively for Moya Moya. And ideally, if you're diagnosed and diagnosed early with it, it's actually having two of them. If you can get it done on the left and the right, it just brings in new blood supply on it. That happened in 2013. Thankfully, the surgery really, really worked, you know, and it brought that new lease of life. We didn't have any deficits on the right-hand side. It was quite good. Just small stuff on the finger. I think your fingers at that stage on the right-hand side, it was a little reduced sensation. Uh, our speech wasn't affected, which was fantastic. That took us all the way up as far as five years on, 2018. And unfortunately, then Gillian started having all these kind of TIAs again, one after the other after the other in a series of days. 
And I think over the course of the weekend, I think we counted having about 32 TIAs on a day was the most. So she had to go back under another bit of surgery. But again, another quite a big, big operation. This one, what they did was they actually, because they couldn't do the operation on her left-hand side to help the right-hand side, that wasn't feasible. So what they actually did was they actually drilled boreholes in Gillian's skull to feed in muscle and tissue into these holes to feed the brain with more blood. So we've had a, a rocky up and down. That, that was a quick recovery from that surgery. It was very good. And you could see the benefit of it straight away where she stopped having all the TIAs. So we've had mixed up and downs over the last couple of years. Still not out of the woods. You know, she's still having regular TIAs. And that's just down to a reduction in the blood vessels in the brain every so often. And, and then the usual, a huge container of medication every week. I feel good for the time being. It's, and now it's a good day. Now it's a good week. I'm finished with the speech therapy because they tried to uh, discharge me several times. I wouldn't ha- ha- have it. Then I'm back into physio now as we speak for six weeks. Coming up, Gillian and Fergus on the importance of time away. Now, since I had the strokes, I can't wait to travel. You know, there are events that you look forward to, you know, booking those holidays. I suppose in the last kind of 18 months with the COVID and the COVID lockdown restrictions, it's been tough not not to have those things to look forward to and keep that kind of positive frame of mind. Holidays and, and breakaways kind of do that. And it is great to unwind very quickly in the sun. And Fergus on accessing help and services. We're lucky in a way in here because <laughs> said in certain counties, you know, that, that services are always not there. You might have physio, you might have speech and language, you might have one or the other. We've had psychology as well, which has been great. But Brain Injury Ireland have been great because I said, you know, they have popped, as I say, Sinead has popped into Gillian, had a great, you know, two-hour conversation here in the house. Let's hear how Fergus has stepped in as Gillian's carer. There are certain days where the level of care is minimum. Gillian just does her own things around the house and her own bits and pieces. And then there's certain days that she's tired that she might need a little bit of hand doing a couple of bits and pieces. Uh, but I suppose the biggest one, she's had a couple of falls recently. That's probably been the, the worst thing. She does has a, a alarm system around her neck that she wears in case she gets in trouble. And, and technology is just great. She has her phone there as well. And even the smartwatch that you can kind of ring somebody on your watch just means that if she does happen to have a fall, you know, somebody's there to help her pick, pick her up. Yeah, look, at I'm, I'm home the whole time, which is kind of great. I suppose it has it affected us. Yeah, look, at it's just been a different change of life. It's probably not something we've, we ever planned. We were two years married when this all happened, kicked off. And before that, we'd been together 11 years. So I suppose we knew each other very well. And I suppose we had the coping mechanism to deal with it. And that was it, and the support between the two of us. So it has affected us in certain things, but I don't think it bothers us much. We just kind of seem to just get on with it. We've modified, we've made do, we've chopped and changed. I said, Gillian has a wheelchair that she uses if she's tired, if she wants to get around quickly, you know, if we decide to go on holidays. I'm independent, big time. I try to be independent, big time. I have my uh, own way of putting on my bra, and I have so determined and stubborn 
We've done a couple of adaptations to the house. Not we didn't go over the top because again, I think I think you know you still need that challenge in life. And unfortunately, stroke is hard for everybody. It's it's a constant struggle. It's not an ailment that goes away. And I think that's kind of tough on Gillian at times. You know that you you end up with a disability that that you didn't have that that wasn't there beforehand, and you just have to survive and you just have to get on with it. It's day to day. It doesn't, as I say, it doesn't go away. I think that's the kind of that's that's the tough bit. The other bit is like everyone else, you've got your good days, and you know when you've got your good days and you're motoring around and it doesn't get you down, brilliant. And then look at if you do have a duvet day and you've taken handy, then so be it. I think you just kind of get on with it, and yeah, then the next yeah. day you're you're good to go. I we love traveling. I love traveling. That's uh, I didn't like the traveling beforehand. I only like the beach, a sea. And the pool. Now, since I had the strokes, I can't wait to travel. You know, there are events that you look forward to, you know, yeah. booking those holidays. Yeah. I suppose in the last kind of 18 months with the COVID and the COVID lockdown restrictions, it's been tough not to not to have those things to look forward to and keep that kind of positive frame of mind. Holidays and, and breakaways kind of do that. And it is great to unwind very quickly in the sun. Gillian has also been able to get help from local charities and stroke services. Sinead Crowley is my social worker. From Brain Injury yeah. Ireland. So we've we'd had Brain Injury Ireland and, and they're quite good because they said they keep in touch with various different events. Yeah. And there's kind of new pilot programmes are running for various different things. But we've a good network of friends and family as well. So they're always kind of close by at hand in terms of kind of those kind of support groups. We do have, as I say, Gillian is regularly with her physio and then attends Bowman Hospital then for Botox to help kind of any spasticity in muscles and that tightness that you get uh, from stroke and especially in your hands. You know, I said we're up and down to the hospital as well. We've had speech and language therapy over the years as well. And the occupation therapist has come in and kind of done stuff in the house and given us equipment. So I suppose we, we're lucky in a way in here because I said in certain counties, you know, that, that services are always not there. You might have physio, you might have speech and language, you might have one or the other. We've had psychology as well, which has been great. But Brain Injury Ireland have been great because I said, you know, they have popped, as I said, Sinead has popped into Gillian, had a great, you know, two hour conversation here in the house and then follows up then with anything that that's required. Like, so she... She chases up the HSE and rings around. Yeah. And if you are struggling with various different things, she kind of gets onto that and makes sure things are right at home. We're lucky to have those. We had home helping for a while. Mm-hmm. I suppose they're not terribly designed for young people. You know, they're they're more kind of in for a social call than anything else. Like, thankfully, I suppose we, we didn't need the hours that was allocated to us. So we were able to give those back to somebody that probably needed them more yeah. than us. Yeah. And again, look, we're still in touch with them all and... They're all there if and when required, which has been good. Gillian and Fergus both believe that stroke survivors and their loved ones need patience. It's not a quick fix. It's a slow process, stroke is. It comes on very quickly to the the person. It changes the person as well. And at the same time, you've got to sit back and have those patience really more than anything else. It takes a lot. It takes a lot to kind of care for somebody. It's not for everybody, you know, and I think if people were struggling, you know, that's probably where they they might feel the pressure that they have to care if they can't manage it. I suppose getting those services in to do the other bits and pieces that need to to get that support is grand. I suppose I'm lucky in a way where 
I can manage you know, a fair bit of stuff on my plate, but I'm young as well. If we were on further on into our 70s and 80s, it would be a totally different kind of scenario. I think the kind of stroke and young people to do kind of recover very quickly and then at the same time, a small bit of support and encouragement along the way makes a huge difference. And that's really it, I suppose, look at it. And then it's, it's just having the flexibility to adapt and you just have to adapt. I personally think it will always be there, the stroke or the, the brain injury. You can not to do anything about it, only adapt. I love Fergus, who has patience. I don't, personally. I get frustrated a lot. Keep positive and keep the fight up and you got this. Gillian's diagnosis completely turned her and husband Fergus's life upside down, but they're both incredibly positive and resilient people and continue to get the best out of life. Many thanks for subscribing to Stroke Stories. Please do continue to comment and rate the episodes you hear. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please do. Our DMs are always open on Twitter and Instagram. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.